Welcome to Better Than Nothing. I'm Ken Root, a veteran of agricultural journalism. I grew up on an Oklahoma farm in the 1950s, attended Oklahoma State University for four and a half years, and graduated in 1972. Better Than Nothing is my self-deprecating way of saying what you are about to hear is just me, being able to speak with some amazing people that come from many walks of life. The man I'm talking to today is one of the most interesting because of who he is and the relationship that we have. So Dr. Charles Freeman, as he stands today, was Charlie when I first met him back in 1967 when he walked into the Alpha Gamma Row house as a pledge, a freshman, the same as me. We were both right around 18 years of age. From that point on, Charlie has become a veterinarian. He's become nationally known. He also farms. His children have done well. He has sown a lot of crops, but one crop he never sowed was wild oats. Charlie is still as true to his values as he ever was. So with that, Charlie, are you willing to speak to me? <laughs> well, Ken, that's a pretty good introduction, and I uh, I feel compelled to uh, give you some information here if you will ask the right questions we enjoy conversation you know all of our conversations routine or otherwise could go on and on with me but you have such a vast amount of background and knowledge in your career that i'm interested in and we're both interested in success and what that brings to us and to our families so yeah i'm ready to talk to you when we started at stillwater we both came from very small towns. Where did you grow up? How did you wind your way to OSU? Well, that's a good question. I, I grew up in a small community. I did not live in town per se, but you know the towns that out in western Oklahoma are uh, from 800 to 1,200 people. And, and of course, I lived four or five miles out in the country in the, on the Kiowa, Washita County line and spent you know, my entire youth there and attended school in Sentinel and was destined to go to a, a Christian college in Oklahoma City the next year as after graduated high school and happens that, uh, you know, I'd taken different entrance tests and taken a bunch of academic challenge stuff at Oklahoma Christian and also had uh, scholarships waiting for me there. But I I had uh, some similar scholarships at Oklahoma State University. The Rush chairman for Alpha Gamma Rho just happened by my house. So I guess our name and my name had got turned in some way uh, to him. And his name is Wayne Sizelove, as you well know, is a, a good friend of ours. And it just so happened that Wayne came by one Sunday and, and convinced my dad. And my mother was actually ill at the time and wasn't able to to be there, but uh, he convinced my dad that I wouldn't become a heathen if I attended Oklahoma State University. He was a, a fairly uh, conservative young man, and he had just got admitted to veterinary school. Well, I was had a burning desire to be a veterinarian, and uh, we can talk about that later, but uh, Wayne had, had been admitted, and so that was a big 
plus to me and my dad. And so after Wayne left, my dad said, you know, maybe if you really want to go to vet school, maybe, maybe we ought to think about you going to OSU instead of Oklahoma Christian. So that's kind of the beginning of it, Ken. Well, I think you've tipped us off here that your religion and your faith uh, are very much a core part of who you and your family are. I respect that. But you held within it, you know, if people are ever going to be wild, ever going to break from being conservative and be uh, <laughs> liberal, uh, it's when you're in college, you know. And uh, Why is that? Well, I think it's, it's that we're adventurous. And in my case, I was a bit rebellious. And I had been held, as you, to my mother's principles, I guess they weren't my own, of religion when I was... Uh, under 18. And when I got out from under that roof, uh, I wanted to experience the world. I wanted to drink it all in. And you were real (laughs) careful what you drink. In fact, you never did drink the same stuff I did. As a result of that, you got into vet school in two years. And I crawled out of Oklahoma State four and a half years later with an ag ed degree. But we both went on through life and we both had our uh, successes and our, our joys. But in your case, it was a core for you. It remained a core for you. How could you pull that off? The best I could say would be my my grandparents and my parents were all so staunch and so uh, convicted to uh, remaining faithful to to their religion, to God, and, and belief in in the Bible. And and uh, you know, I guess I I just grew up not knowing anything any different and didn't didn't have a quest to go out and explore the world the way some people do. Probably the biggest centerfold factor would be I did not want to disappoint my parents. And I, I had had a, uh, a good, well-grounded, well-established faith in, in God. And, and I didn't have any reason to break it. You know, now going to the Alpha Gamma Row house were a lot of brothers, a lot of pre- pledged brothers and older members that had different value systems and, and I just didn't seem to let it bother me too much. I could go enjoy, you know, functions that we had that involved things that I didn't really believe in. I could go and participate in the function, but without some of the other extracurricular activities, I guess you would say. Yeah. I'm, I'm aware of, of you being able to do that. And I admire that. You were very goal-oriented from the beginning. I mean, I tell everybody that I remember Charlie would study and study until 25 minutes past the hour, the class <laughs> five minutes later, then you would run to class, and then you would come back or go to the library and study some more, and you did that all day, every day. You did not lose your way. I mean, your compass has been set as long as I've known you. Now, I didn't go home very many times, though, because it was too far, and I didn't, I, I didn't have a very good vehicle to get there. I, I just was convinced that, you know, I had to do everything I could to make the grades to get. I so intently wanted to get in vet school in two years if I could get my pre, pre-vet uh, requirements. You know, and I really got my teeth rattled <clears throat> when I took the first chemistry test. I'd had, had chemistry in high school and, and thought I was pretty well set up, you know, to be able to handle it. Well, I go in there and, and what do I do? I make a D on the first chemistry test. And you only had three tests, maybe in a lab grade or whatever. You talk about someone getting their 
feet knocked out from under him. That, that really set me back. And so I did everything I could to correct that. And, and it just cemented in my mind, I guess, that I've got to work harder. And, and you're right about the, the uh, studying all the time. And I didn't know any better. I, I guess I thought that's what you had to do. And I was willing to do it to make that sacrifice and stand, sit there in the library, looking out the windows when the spring days and fall days were pretty and knowing that I'd rather be outside. I did that. I come along and made an A in that chemistry course. And of course, you will talk about maybe later some, some other courses that I couldn't make an A in, uh, regardless how hard you tried. The closest I ever came to not liking you was <laughs> one weekend you went home with me, which I was honored for you to do. And my mother and father liked you. The problem was we went over to the neighbors to help haul hay. And I had been working with these two brothers for years and you were of the church of Christ, which they went. Uh, you also were capable of hauling hay a level above me, your skills and your adaptability and, and your just hard work that I could see that you had been doing all the way through school. You didn't have an ounce of fat on you and you still don't. That just, <laughs> this, it, it was so funny because every time later on, they'd say, you know, we really like Charlie. Gosh, Charlie is so strong. Charlie is so good at that, good at this. And I thought, you only saw him for two hours, you know, three hours. <laughs> it was it was just uh, good to see how much you could do and the fact that you've applied all that in your life. I mean, you still have calluses on your hands that are heavier than anybody else when I shake hands at the fraternity house. So I know <laughs> you, you not only work your mind, you work your body, and you're 73 years old and still doing that. Well, you know, that's not something to be very become <laughs> very famous at because you could haul hay. I started out, we'd take my dad's wheat truck, little 16-foot wheat truck, and take the sideboards off and, and haul hay in the summer. Started out getting nine cents a bale, and uh, I could hire uh, one of my high school buddies or whatever that, and give him two cents or three cents, and, and we could haul a 1,000 bales a day with a without a loader because, anyway, we... Mm -hmm. you know, we worked hard and, and I didn't know any different when I went to see your, your neighbors down there. Just, we were just stacking hay in a barn as I remember, but anyway, not something to get, make you very famous. I want to let everybody know that we went to college beginning in 1967 at, uh, the big ag school in Oklahoma, Oklahoma state university at 18,000 students at the time. As I recall, Charlie and I both come from small towns and both of us came from limited means meaning that our parents and our families were very conservative financially. So neither one of us had much money to spend during that freshman year. But you told me a while back you had written down how much money you spent in your freshman year, which is the basis of our conversation for today. Can you share that with us? Okay, I would. And, and I don't know what made me do this. Maybe my dad told me to keep track of what I spent. But as you well know, you remember our cost of our credit hour of college was like seven dollars and fifty cents an hour or, or you know i think it got up to nine dollars maybe the second year but so i i kept a ledger you know a little uh spiral notebook every time i went to fill up with gas or if we you know had a house bill we had a house bill that bought our food in our room room and then i if we ever went to town which is maybe once a week well you know if we bought a hamburger or coke well, i kept track of it anyway i spent a total i know tuition included fuel to get me back and forth from from home and uh, i spent a total of 1275 
dollars that first year and i i'd kept it down to the penny so i know what it was <laughs> that is from september through may yes twelve hundred and seventy five dollars there are people that spend more than that on a single bill a month now the the cost of college actually is higher in my view today in real dollars than it was then because of the standard of living people want to have oh i think that's true yeah. no doubt so it is tougher to get through college today than it was when we were there. But again, this is that singular focus, you know, <laughs> keep hold of everything and then move yourself forward. So I think that that probably says it all. I asked one of our friends the other day who was a, a little more affluent than us, what he thought he spent his freshman year and he ballparked it. He's a banker, however. And he said, uh, uh close to $4,000. And huh. he, thought he thought that was a small number. And I said, you listen to this podcast with Charlie and I, and you'll get to hear what, uh, what he really spent. Okay. <laughs> Here's the fun part of this. I'm loving what I hope that comes out of it. You said a minute ago that you made an A in chemistry after making a D on the first test, you worked your way through that first semester. And of course we had to make a grade point to be able to get into the fraternity, which was lower than either one of ours, as it turned out. I missed a three-point because I took a um, first-semester freshman composition class, and the teacher gave me a D, and I asked her why, and she said, oh, you don't need a grade in this class. You're a cowboy. What happened to you? I had somewhat similar experiences. You know, I could, as I said a few minutes ago, I could not make an A in one of these my courses. And I, in high school, I had so many activities in high school and with sports and showing livestock and so forth. I didn't have time. I didn't think I had time and really didn't know about taking courses, you know, at college, pre, pre-college years in your high school years. I didn't know about that. And I, and some of my comrades had, had already taken an English and maybe math or something, a uh, history course and they got that behind them, or they had clipped out of ours. I didn't know about clipping out of ours. Our, we didn't have a, I guess, didn't have a uh, advisor in high school or a counselor that would tell you about that. So, you know, I got up there to school, and several people had clipped out of English. Well, English just so happened freshman composition. I had two courses that my first year that I couldn't, I did kept me from getting a four point, and both of them were English. And so I had a bad experience with my my first freshman you know, fall of the freshman year, you know, I made a B in that course because I couldn't write anything. It was mostly writing themes or coming up with yep. short stories. I couldn't write any kind of story that was pleasing to this particular graduate student who was our English teacher. So you made um, a 3.7. 3.81. And I made a 2.8, 2.9 because we both had an English class right. first semester that we uh, did not succeed at the level we wanted. I think so, we were treated poorly. We were treated I, oh, poorly. I, I don't disagree with that. And I think that bias is the first time it shows up, you know, is that college teachers don't have to be held to the same standards as high school teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is, there is a difference. So we come back to the fraternity house, you know, at the, uh, after realizing what our grades are and, uh, I don't know if this is exactly how it went, but I recall a man who was a year older than us. The name was Joe Lyde from your part of the world. He said, you know what you guys ought to do? 
next semester, you ought to register yourself for an evening class. They have classes in that and 630 in the evening. And he said, wear a suit and tie every night to class and tell them you're pre-med majors. <laughs> so you, you agreed to do that with me, right? Right. I did. And that was a surprise, actually. <laughs> now, we, <laughs> we have this class. So in the second semester, we show up. We got a pretty good break between semesters, as I recall. So we show up. We have a grad student lady there by the name of Miss Steggy. And Miss Steggy was a, um, an unusual person in the fact that she smoked in class, which nobody's ever smoked in a class I had been in. So she's teaching and smoking at the same time. She also swore a few times, which uh, was a little, sh a lot shocking at that time. And uh, she was um, a student at the university who was being used as an experiment because at that point, women had required hours, meaning they had to be in the dorm and accounted for at a certain time in the evening. And uh, the dorm, in effect, was locked until seven o'clock the next morning. She had no hours. And so I don't know if you know that or not, but she was part of that group that they were allowing to go where they wanted to do what they wanted. And, and, and looking at her, I thought who would molest her, but <laughs> on we go. She was a interesting lady and she loved her subject matter. So you and I start going to class and we're doing okay. Uh, my memory of it is that, uh, we had to tell her we were going through initiation week and she told us, well, I'm not very much in favor of, I'm not in favor of these fraternities. And we said, we'll be in class. We just were told that we had to tell you. So we have done so. Then we get into our spring semester and the fraternity is encouraging us to be members of organizations on campus. Do you remember that? Remember that, Charles? I remember that well. I became a member of uh, several. Of course, I was involved in President's Council. That took some time. And, and I think maybe AGX and... Uh, I wasn't a member of Block and Bridle because I wasn't in animal science. I was in animal science, but I didn't think that was appropriate for me to be in there. I was a member of... Uh, you were a young Republican or something, probably. Yeah, I joined the young Republicans because this was coming into the presidential elections of 1968. And I've always been interested in, I guess, political science and the fascination with people running for office. So I joined the young Republicans... And uh, in my county, by the way, there were almost no Republicans. My father used to get to work at every uh, election because he was the only Republican in the precinct, and they had to have a Republican judge uh, on the ballot. So we were, I registered at, uh, at later on at 21. I wasn't a Republican yet because we weren't old enough to vote. There was a, um, a capability with the early punch cards for you to, um, on campus, come up to a table uh, on one day that they had sort of a primary election and you could punch out the hole in the card that you voted for and turn that in. And I believe you could vote for three candidates. I'm not sure. And so I got out there with a megaphone on a corner and started talking <laughs> it up and a lot of people came over and voted. And, uh, so I gathered up all of those, you know, unknowing what it was and sent it all in and came back that Nelson Rockefeller, at the time, was a candidate who looked like he had a pretty good shot at being the Republican nominee in 1968. Later on, I, I got a call, and it was from his campaign 
wanting to know if I would come to Tulsa and then Kansas City and then get on a plane with him in Kansas City and fly to Iowa City where he was going to announce his candidacy. And so uh, I did. And in the interim part of this, I realized that Mrs. Steggy, Ms. Steggy, was pretty interested in politics. So I came back from that with a book that had been personally <laughs> autographed by Nelson A. Rockefeller because I got five minutes with him in a bus, and I said, uh, Governor, I believe that one of my teachers would really be a big supporter of you. This was all a lie, by the way. A uh, big supporter of you. If Brown you nosing would, big time. <laughs> if you would just sign this book to her. He said, sure. So he takes the book and it says, Dear Miss Steggy, hope this answers some of your questions. Would be glad to have you on board with us, Nelson A. Rockefeller. And I had bought his book in the airport and I brought it home and showed it to you. Do, do you remember that? I remember that. And I, I said, you're going to get a stinking A out of this deal. And, and I'm going to be gunning and working hard and I won't even that tells you how subjective these systems are at that time in 1969 but then it was spring of 68 right yeah Yeah, it was the spring of 68 so we roll back in home and i give miss steggy this book after class and i don't know whether she laughed at herself laughed at me what but she took the book and i by the way had been trying to do good work i will say that and I got an A in that class. What did you get in that class, Charlie? Yeah, I told you I couldn't make an A in English, so I, I got the second B that I ever had. Really? You no, didn't I got get a B. an A? You got a B. I got a B. Yes. You got a B. I got an A. I never beat you at anything else ever, but that's the way that that all played out, which made me realize something about the system, Charlie. You know, you were playing fair in everything, and you and you won. But I was willing to push the edges of it and found out I also won. So that, that worked, didn't it? It worked. Well, it it just showed the system, I guess. And I had other You know, I'm surprised. I'm that. really surprised. I was I was taken back that, you know, as left wing as as I would call that lady right now and a progressive or whatever uh, would be a term that I would use, yet she would even accept a book from Nelson Rockefeller. But she appreciated your efforts, and, and it, it, it brought you a reward. I don't so. know what she really thought, but it was interesting. And uh, so I, uh, I think that was the, the, the cutest thing that happened. <laughs> uh, now, we became members of Alpha Gamma Rho, which we both uh, hold in high esteem. And financially, uh, we've helped out the fraternity. We've got a brand-new house on campus in Stillwater. We're going to go back there and in May to celebrate the centennial of the fraternity at Oklahoma State University. And uh, so it was a very good start in its own way. I wonder what your view is. Suppose you had not gone into that fraternity house. Suppose you had lived in an apartment, same school, same everything. Do you think there'd be much difference in who you are today? You know, I think that's probably, uh, I think that would be true. I, I look back on my years in an, in high school and my years in college. And, you know, I really don't have the, the kids and fr that were friends of mine in high school 
I might see him every 10 years or talk to him every five years, but I have no, no close relationships with those. It's, it's the people that I met at Alpha Gamma Rho. And I, and I took, you know, I took a lot of pride in the fact that we were, uh, we were all ag majors. I mean, you, you were either at that time, you were either a, a major in the college of ag or you were a pre-medical major. And, and a lot of the, you know, I'd say 75% of the, the guys in our class were from similar backgrounds to you and I, and we just had a lot in common. I had a lot in common, except maybe for the, the drinking and, and piddling around like that. But uh, I, I really look on those years as, as very, very fond and very leading years. And had I went to another university, I wouldn't have probably wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't have had the experiences and the, the uh, friendships that I have today with, with you and, and uh, many others. I really look back on those times as, as happy times and as tough as, as going through the pledgeship, you know, that's the closest thing I ever did to going through military and basic training. Yeah. Going through basic training in the military. That's the closest thing I ever had to that. But, you know, it's one of those things that my big brother told me one time said, you know, you wouldn't do that again for a million dollars, but you wouldn't take a million dollars for it. So going through and, and becoming a member of Alpha Gamma Rho. So that was a good deal. Well, the, the world has changed now. For those of you who are not familiar with the fraternity system, there is no pledging anymore. There's no hazing anymore. Uh, but at the time, it was like boot camp, and uh, we thought it was the way the game was played. And so we, we didn't know any different, Ken. We didn't. We didn't. I didn't know any different. You know, and that goes for a lot of these things. You ask about how I adjusted to a big university or how I adjusted to the, you know, the diversity and the, and the discrimination that we had in class, like we've talked about. Those things didn't even... Yeah, I didn't think about complaining about that. I didn't think about saying anything, you know, negative about it. I just figured, well, that's part of it. You know, I can handle it. I'll we'll either we'll either like it or we won't, or we'll put up with it or we won't, and go on down the road. That's that's the way my my whole uh, life has been. You know, there's some things you you change the things you can, and you accept the things you can't change. Well put. You also married in college. Uh, you got into vet school, and then uh, did you marry the next year? I got married after the second year in veterinary school. I, I lived at the AGR house there for full four years. And my third year, uh, third uh, spring semester of my first year in vet school, I met this uh, beautiful young lady and uh, she was a student at Oklahoma State University and took her to the library and, and uh, helped her turn her F in chemistry to C or something. And, and uh, she kept going to the library with me to study and we got married after my second year in veterinary school which would have been 1971 things changed pretty quick for us right then we had a you know we'd always uh, hoped to you know you didn't know at the time at that time i didn't know any different than well my grandparents and my parents and you know small town people uh, go to oklahoma state university get an education set up a private practice these were all dreams okay and uh, find someone that you that you really really like and can live with, and you think you can put up with for fifty years or more. And, and you've done so. You raised a family last year. Yeah, we did. We celebrated fifty years last year. You know, and uh, Betty's been a phenomenal, I guess, mate to live with and and to raise a family with, and she's done so much to help our kids and raise, raise good kids. It's amazing. Well, I think she like, uh, 
wives of most of us is in the express lane for heaven, uh, meaning that they won't, they've pretty much spent their hell on earth putting up with us. She did have one great line about you. She said, uh, I've never been to any major city that wasn't also the site of a veterinary medical convention. <laughs> well, that that's pretty much holds true. You know, she, every time we talk about going somewhere, you know, she's, well, what meetings there, there must be some meeting there. And, <laughs> and, but we have, we've got to, you know, with my involvement, with the American Veteran Medical Association and, and being a, a delegate representing our state, we have got to attend, you know, most of the major cities, I mean, an AVMA convention in most of the major cities. And, and that's, that's been a, an educational process for me who, before I went to Oklahoma State University, I'd only been to state of Texas. And, and one time we went through Kansas and Nebraska to visit an uncle that was a, a Church of Christ preacher in South Dakota, so that's, that was the extent of my travels. We have been able to broaden our horizons, and we have been able to make a good world for children. Uh, your children have all uh, been like you and your wife uh, in being able to be educated, take advantage of the opportunities, and move on with their lives. And now, how many grandchildren do you have, Charlie? We have 16 grandchildren. We have five children. And... They, uh, of course, our grandkids are all all in the development stages, and we have two that are in college, uh, two grandkids in college, and we have, uh, you know, like three or four in high school and four or five in middle school, and and, uh, the rest of them are in grade school or preschool. So we have an exciting group at our house when, when they all get together. I can imagine that. Well, Charles Freeman, Dr. Freeman, you, um, have been one of those unforgettable characters in my life. Uh, I sometimes wonder why you associate with me because, you know, we've, we don't, we have the AGR bond, but we've gone so many different ways and we have different views about so many things. But when we get together, the thing is we, we have this commonality and I love to visit with you because I love to hear what you have going on in your life and the things that you've thought through and diligently done, and then you can hear the things that I haven't thought much about, but I'm flippantly out there doing them now. And we have a we have a good rapport, and I hope we have that to the last day on Earth. It will be there, Ken. I uh, I certainly enjoy visiting with you. You've got a vast amount of knowledge. I can't I cannot imagine how you know the number of friends. You know, at your birthday, you get 275 uh, responses to your <laughs> Facebook birthday announcement or whatever but you know you and i've got a lot of things yet to talk about and so maybe someday we can do another one of these i'd be glad to i want to i want to tell you what makes me happy and and uh and uh, tell you about crop farming and and all of these different things that we've been involved with over the years you know and some of my veterinary experiences that you know are really really uh, enlightening and and uh just enjoyable to see the successes of some surgeries and there's just a lot of things that I I look forward to seeing and talking about. Well, if there hadn't been James Harriet write the book on all creatures great and small, I suppose you could. The design of this podcast was for you and I to talk about our freshman year in college. We sure. accomplished that. And uh, it took us 34 minutes to do so. So if we had talked about everything, we would be days at this. So we will have future <laughs> episodes. I'd love to visit with you about your veterinary career. Uh, on another time. And uh, 
who else, who knows what else that we can come up with. So we'll do that, Ken. Charlie, good to talk to you. Take care. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to Better Than Nothing. I hope you stayed awake for most of it and liked what you heard. If you'd like to tell me your thoughts or relate your memories, send an email to ken at betterthannothing.com. Nothing is spelled N-U-T-H-I-N. If you can't remember that, send it to kenroot at gmail.com. We'll try to put out one of these every week, and you can sign up with your podcast service to be reminded when the next one's available. As I now turn 73 years old, I've decided to have two kinds of days, good ones and great ones. See you next week for another episode of Better Than Nothing.